So we began this series last week, uh, two weeks ago, called The Armor of God. And last week was our first piece of equipment we put on, the belt of truth. And we're going to jump into this breastplate of righteousness today. And what I'm learning here is that what Paul, the writer of Ephesians, where we get all this information from, is doing is just letting you know maybe some things that you weren't aware that you needed to be cautious of. And my hope today is that we will learn the importance of living a rightly lived life. And what we can do to put on righteousness, because sometimes you don't know what you don't know. It's like, it's like yesterday. Um, Melissa and I go for a bike ride, motorcycle ride. And... Uh, so we're heading down 522. We're going to stop and fill up with gas. And on my way, I'm being real judgy, passing people in the right-hand lane. Right? That's me. I'm a judgy. And I'm leaning back on my bike. Melissa's back there and just having a great time, cool air, nice ride. I go to pull into Royal Farms, and I kind of look down, and my shirt is all the way up to here. <laughs> and that's not a pretty sight, right? So, so I've been, <laughs> I don't know how long my belly's been hanging out, but I, and I have those, the high, I got those tall ape hanger handlebars, right? And I'm like riding back, and I'm just like, you know. Waving at people, judging them. And my shirt, right there. And I just didn't realize how cool I was not. I mean, that, now try and get that out of your mind. But sometimes we don't know what we don't know. And so Paul is saying, it is really important that you put on this equipment because you're exposing yourself, Right? to this spiritual warfare that can really not just embarrass you. So I'm pulling in, right, to Royal Farms, trying to get my shirt down. But when you're making a tight turn on a bike, it's hard not to use both hands on the handlebars, right? So I'm... Anyway. So Ephesians chapter 6 is, is, the, is where we are um, in, in, this, in this study. And Paul is encouraging us encouraging the church at Ephesus, and we're kind of like listening in here to put on this armor of God because we're in a spiritual fight. He says this, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, and this is what we talked about last week, having fastened on the belt of truth and then this week having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, righteousness sounds like an old-fashioned word, but it's actually a very timeless concept. And if, as you can see, the word righteous has the word right in it. And there's a, there's a truth there about taking a stand and doing the right thing and living rightly. So here's, here's just a little definition I came up with that, that seemed to kind of speak to where we want to go with all this, and that is that righteousness is rightness of heart and life. So, so if you think about it, it's not just like I'm right with God in my heart. 
It's that I'm doing what I can to live rightly. Like it's, it's heart and life. In the New Testament, the word righteousness appears 228 times. It's an important concept. The root word of the word righteous means a straight line. So think about this. If we're looking in the, in the world of morality, what we can say then, I think, is that, is that righteousness means that you're living in a straight way or in a right way. Like this is the line that we're walking. For a believer, I think that, that we can take it a step further, and that is it's living in obedience to our Heavenly Father. And now it takes on a personal note, like, like I'm living in obedience to my Heavenly Father, and I've got this relationship with him. And now it doesn't become a bunch of rules that I have to follow. It becomes a life that I get to live. Not only to please him, but for him to bless me. It's just it's this beautiful relationship that we get to enjoy. So, so what, what we're talking about here is, is putting on right living to protect yourself. Now, the, the, the breastplate of righteousness, as I believe Paul would have been speaking to um, during the time of the Roman army, covered the Roman soldier from about the thorax down to the navel. And what's interesting is it, it, it did go around the back as well. And so there was, a, there was a way to protect some of the back as well as the front because the idea was to protect this vital area here. And um, it was usually made out of like heavy leather or some type of metal. If you had a little bit more money, you might have some type of a, a connected chain mail kind of a, an outfit that you would wear. And the idea was that the breastplate of righteousness or the breastplate was considered the heart protector. And I think that's really significant. Because it's, and obviously there's other vital organs in there, it's protecting, but it just, it was known as the heart protector. And what I love is that, is that Paul is telling us here is like, you don't know what you don't know. You need to live righteously. You need to put on this breastplate of righteousness because it protects your heart. Well, why is that important, Eric? Well, back in Proverbs, um, Solomon was writing to his son and he put this into words in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. He said, keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. And that word keep there is stronger than just like, you know, hang on to it. It was like your life depended on it. That was the diligence part. Like this has been entrusted to you. Keep your heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. I had an echocardiogram this week, and watching my own heart up on that screen made me realize how fragile my life is, and it made me so incredibly grateful to God for every beat of my heart. They put a contrasting fluid in there, and you could see it moving through. And little flaps popping up and down, just doing its job, and the and the blood's pumping through there, and you're like. I am alive today because of God's goodness to me. There is nothing I'm doing to make that thing tick right there. It's all God's goodness to me. And my life is completely dependent upon that. So the analogy is here, right? The analogy is that our heart, the soul of who we are, the the center of our being not our muscle that pumps, but the center of who we are, out of that, we should guard that, keep it with all diligence because 
everything about our life flows out of that. And so we're being instructed by Paul to live a righteous life. You ever tell your kid, like, don't touch that? Right? And there's two different people in the world. There's the Whitney's who will be like, oh, okay, I won't touch that. And then there's the Kimbers. This, don't touch this. So there's, but the, the identification of what we should or shouldn't do, how we should or shouldn't live. My, my instructions as I was growing up was a lot different than maybe yours. Mine were like, Eric, don't swim in the river with your glasses on. But I can see better. Aren't you glad you weren't my parents? And yes, I did lose my glasses in the river. Don't play with matches, especially on an army base. And don't set the woods on fire. And they have to call the police out. And then definitely don't lie and cover it all up. I'm not saying that happened to me. I'm just saying. <laughs> I was all of about eight when that took place. That was right before I got saved, though. <laughs> it was my world apart from Christ. And see what happens? <laughs> but, like, you tell your kids stuff to give them at least enough information not to kill themselves, right? You want to, you're trying, it's not that you don't like them, it's like you really do love them. And you, and you're hoping that the instruction that you're giving them makes their life easier. So, so the righteousness that we are asked to live out is for our benefit and the glory of God. It's living in obedience to Christ and it's for our own good and for the glory of God. But now when you talk about righteousness, you can't get away from the fact that there are so many different facets of it. And I want to be very careful to mention that I don't, I don't pretend, this is not going to be like this all-encompassing message about righteousness. It is such a huge topic. But as we look at righteousness, what I'd love to do is take a look at the different facets of righteousness and then our response to it. So first of all, you have God's righteousness. And obviously, God's righteousness is this standard that we will never achieve He is a righteous and holy God. And when we look at that standard and we realize that there's no way that we can satisfy the righteousness of God and we fall so short, there is no way that we can ever live up to what that standard is. Isaiah says that all of our righteousnesses, the very best that we can do, are as filthy rags. In Romans, Paul said, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, that sure is encouraging. But it's the truth. There's nothing about the way that I can possibly live that will ever measure up to what God's righteousness is. So what, what God's righteousness can potentially do for us is discourage you. Like I can't, yeah, I got nothing, God. There's no way I can make it. But that, here's what's beautiful about it. That's where we need to be. That's, that's what we need to acknowledge. When I say it discourages me, it's not like I'm not glad that he is righteous. It's that I'm sad that I will never attain that on my own. So another aspect of righteousness or another facet of righteousness is comparative. So like um, 
We look around, and because we can't measure up to what God's righteousness is, what we tend to do is look around and compare ourselves to other people so that we can feel better about ourselves. Well, at least I'm not doing what he's doing, or at least, at least I'm not into that. I'm better than that individual, or they're much worse than I am. And isn't it amazing? We can always find them. We can always find people that aren't living up to the standard that we think that we are. Now, they, they probably got you beat on other areas of your life. But we ignore those. But here's, here's the honest truth. They may be looking at you to make themselves feel better. Right? But just because you're better than somebody else doesn't mean that you are good enough. You're not even close. So just stop it. Just stop thinking that because you're not doing something that makes you better than somebody else or because you are doing something that makes you better than somebody else because you got plenty of more stuff to work on and you don't know what God's doing in their life. Hey, if we're in this, right, if we're in this together and we are all like heading to heaven and we're all on this spiritual journey together, why am I going to, why am I going to discourage somebody who may be a few steps further down the road than I am because I'm further down the road than somebody else is? And let's just kind of like pretend like we're all on the same team and actually encourage each other rather than, rather than trying to, to guilt or manipulate somebody else's life. I think some of that's necessary, but I don't think it ought to be our focus. You're not all that. I mean, I love you. Most of you, but it's like we don't have the right to speak into a lot of people's lives that we haven't done any investing in. So be very careful about comparative righteousness because here's what it does. It deceives you. Well, at least I'm not that. And how many churchy people have you met that fit into that category right there? And that's, that's what I'm talking about. So get away from this comparative righteousness because it just it, it creates a false image of who you are because you ain't so another another way to look at look at uh, righteousness is called imputed righteousness and this is a this is a really theologic theological term it's it's imputed righteousness and this is this is exciting stuff so imputed righteousness is is something that we have been given in second corinthians 5 verse 21 paul says this for he has made him that is jesus to be sin, who knew no sin. So, so for he has made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin. Just wrap your brain around that. So Jesus, who left heaven, came to earth, lived a completely sinless life for 33 years. God made him to be sin for us. Everything wrong I've ever done, every bad thought, every evil word, every intentional action, God put that on Jesus, and he made Jesus to be sin for us. Why is that, Eric? The rest of that verse, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 
So Jesus takes all of the sin that I've ever committed and he bore that on the cross that day. There's a moment in the, in the crucifixion story that you might be familiar with where Jesus cried out to God and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That literally means that God turned his back on his own son who had lived a perfect sinless life. Why did he do that? Because all of our sins were put on Jesus. And I don't even, I don't even begin to understand what all that means. Jesus paid it all. And so, then what the scripture teaches is that all of his righteousness is put on my account. In Philippians 3, 9, it says this, not having my own righteousness, (laughs) which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So when I came to Jesus as a nine-year-old boy, when you came to Jesus, all, so all of my sin has been paid for by Jesus because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So all of my sins are paid for on the cross. Then when I come to Jesus and I accept Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, and I come to the Father through Jesus Christ, then all of his righteousnesses are put on Eric. And like all of a sudden, God sees Eric as righteousness. What, what? Yeah, that's, what would ever cause somebody to do that? What would ever cause somebody to give their own son to become sin so that I could enter into a relationship with him? Yeah, figure that out. For God so loved me that I could have a relationship with him. That's imputed righteousness. Like, I don't deserve this, but that's what I've been given. And at the moment of salvation, when I accept Christ... That righteousness is credited to my account. So here's what that does. That defines you. That's who you are in Christ. That's who I am in Christ. Now here's where, here's where we, we have this difficulty reconciling things. So if I'm righteous before Christ, then how come I st- keep do- doing stupid stuff? If I'm righteous, how come, how come I haven't figured life out yet? If I'm righteous, then how come I, st- stop, how come I can't stop thinking what I think or s- doing what I'm doing or saying what I'm saying? Well, because there's another facet of righteousness, and there's probably a dozen more, but there's another facet of righteousness called practical righteousness. And this practical righteousness is kind of like what I do with what I've been given. So practical, right? So, so let, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me show you this. So in, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is preaching the Beatitudes, and we've, we've studied some of those. But he said, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Does that seem like something that you can or can't do? Like, like it's almost like you don't, it's, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're automatically going to be 
going after that, striving after that. And then uh, in the next chapter, he says this um, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. It's almost like not everyone's going to do this. So, so there is something about my relationship with the Lord that would cause me then to seek righteousness, like I have something to do with it. Now, I believe in imputed righteousness that, that, that when, I, when I became a Jesus follower and I entered in this relationship, then, then all of Christ's righteousnesses were put on me. But then, like, how do I live? What do I do with that? The righteous actions and, and this practical righteousness is what we do as followers of Christ. As redeemed children of God, this is how we are called to live. This is what drives you. So this is what causes us to live the life that we feel called to live in Christ. We've been declared righteous by God. Now we need to live it out. So two chapters before Ephesians 6, when he's talking about the armor of God, Paul gives us some insight on how this takes place. He says in Ephesians chapter 4, he says that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So, so we have righteousness as followers of Jesus. We have righteousness that came from Jesus. We have received it. Now we have to live it. And there's a difference. Righteousness is in you. It needs to be on you. And let me tell you, let, let me just be honest with you. I have struggled with this all week. And I know that this is such a, an incredibly complicated topic that even the words that I'm trying to share with you, it, it, it falls so short of what I believe God understands and knows about righteousness. And I'm trying my best to kind of put it into practical terms for us. Because I do believe that because of what Jesus did, God looks at me as righteous. I believe it's in Scripture. I showed you the verses. So then how come I screw up all the time? Why am I not living the life that I know that he wants me to live? Where's my responsibility in all of this? What am I supposed to do with the righteousness that I've been given? I have the capacity to live a righteous life. But is it right to say that it's my decision then whether or not I implement it, whether or not I practice the righteousness that I know that I'm supposed to be living? And then what good does that do? Like, why does God want me to live this way? The same reason you want your kids to do certain things and not do certain things. It's good for them. It's good for them. It's the right thing to do. One big thing that my dad taught me growing up, don't walk on your neighbor's lawn. Right? You just don't do that. That ain't your lawn. You don't take care of it. You didn't pay for it. And those are like the exact words of my dad. You don't cut across someone's lawn. Take an extra 10 steps and walk on the stinking sidewalk. So like that's become part of who I am. I had a teacher in college that said, character stays on the sidewalk. Ow. 
Yeah, and so like if they wanted you to cut across that way and wear out a path in their lawn, they would have built a sidewalk for you to do that. But the sidewalk's over here and the road's over here. You follow that. It's just one of those things in my brain. It just seems like the right thing to do. It's not because my dad was trying to hurt me or keep me from things. It's just the right thing to do. Please understand that practical righteousness is what we do in this life as a means of honoring God. Righteousness is in you. It needs to be on you. Because I don't know, and there probably is a better way, but I don't know how else to explain the putting on of the breastplate of righteousness. Because he was talking to believers. He's talking to believers who have already been forgiven and God has imputed the righteousness of Christ on them. And he's telling those believers, put on the breastplate of righteousness to protect your heart. So there's something that I need to do as a believer to wear righteousness. And by the way, righteousness is heavy. So when they would put this thing on, right, the, I think it was right around 70 pounds that the armor weighed. I don't know exactly how much a breastplate would weigh. I mean, it's probably dependent on what the material was. So they put this thing on, and you would think that like, it would really weigh them down on their shoulders, but the truth of the matter is they had the belt of truth. And they would attach it to the belt of truth. And the belt of truth would support about 50% of the weight. Isn't that beautiful just to think that just knowing the truth, just living out the truth, knowing what God's opinion is, what God's opinion about the matter is and his truth, knowing that he knows what the truth is, helps you live a righteous life? Isn't that great? That God just doesn't dump this stuff on you and say, figure it out, boy. He says, here, let me tell you what the truth is. And now, now we're going to take that weight off of you because now you know what the truth is. And this is, what, this is what it looks like to live a righteous life. Thank God that it's not up to me to figure out what righteousness looks like. So we, we, we do this by putting off and putting on. Putting off and putting on. So what do I have to put off, Eric? I don't know. Let's talk about that. What do you got to stop doing? What is God telling you right now? What is it that you need to put off that you know is not honoring God? And then what do you need to replace it with? That's what I'm talking about. I don't really need to know. I just want to make you sweat a little bit. But like if you're being honest with yourself, that's a good idea, by the way. And if you're being honest with God, all right, God, what's next? What's the next thing I need to be putting off? And what am I going to replace it with? That's how we live righteously. That's that practical righteousness that drives us. Romans chapter 13, 12. I just love how scripture works together like this. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. It's like this casting off and putting on. We are to think differently. We should behave differently because of the righteousness that has been imputed unto us. Now, so, so how does this happen, Eric? What do we do? I just want to give you a few things um, that spoke to my heart this week. And, and to be quite honest with you, there's probably better stuff out there. But this is, this, is, this is what it meant to Eric. This is what it looks like to me um, when I'm... When I'm endeavoring to live righteously. And the first thing is this, understand whose you are and the help you have. I love this, not just because I wrote it, but I love the truth here. 
you are a child of God. I mean, you get that, right? You do not have to be subject to the sins of this world. You are a child of God who has the ability to be free and live free from the chains of sin and this world of darkness. It is, it is in you to live this way. You are a child of God. And not only that, you are not alone. One of the most beautiful gifts that you were given, not only was Jesus' righteousness imputed upon you when you received Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, but not only did that begin this relationship with God, but, but, but God gave you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, Spirit is in you, and you have this help, this aid to walk through life with you. Understand whose you are and the help that you have. Not only are we shown the right way to live, we are promised the help to do so. That's exciting. Next, this is just getting real. Confess your fault and embrace the change. All right? It's a mental thing, right? So, so, what is God telling you this morning needs to change in your life? All right, I'm not living righteously in this area of my life. Okay? All right. Let's be real. Let's confess that. It doesn't have to be to me. It doesn't have to be to anybody else. Confess it to God. Let's be honest. <laughs> like he doesn't know, right? Right? God doesn't go, oh, what? Oh, that changes everything. God's like, hmm, all right, all right. God already has the answer, right? God already knows how to help you. God loves you more. God gave his son for you. What more can he do to show you that he's on your side? And he only wants what's best for you. How exciting is that? How encouraging is that? We all got stuff, okay? We're all working on stuff. Your stuff's different than my stuff. My stuff's different. I'm not going to tell you my stuff, okay? Because you wouldn't come to church here anymore. And I don't want to know your stuff. But there's stuff out there, right? We all got stuff we're working on. So let's confess that to God. Let's be real about it. Let's get it out there. Let's stop pretending. Let's live an honest, transparent life with the maker of this universe that loves you and gave himself for you. Let's live that way. How refreshing would it be if you were an honest person with the maker of this universe and embrace the change that he wants to make in your life so that you can live a life that is abundant, that is fulfilling, that is God-honoring. Be practical, be specific, identify what needs to change. Confess your faults and embrace the change. And then finally, live in relationship. Probably could have guessed it. This is a big deal to me. In this thing we call the Christian life, it's not about the institution of the church. It's not about me as your pastor. It's not about what we think we need to be doing or what I tell you you think. This, this is between you and God. 
It's about your relationship with your heavenly father. Live in that relationship. Live in that. Treat it as such. God is for you. Yes, he is holy. He is righteous. His righteousness is unattainable in and of ourselves. But he's your father. And not everybody has a great experience with their father. Let God show you what that should be like. Because no matter how good your daddy was, he wasn't God. And he was dealing with his own stuff too. Live in that relationship. Because righteousness is not about what I do for God. It's what I do because of God. I want to live this way. Not just to honor my heavenly father, although that should be enough. But because I want to live in this relationship. And I want to live a life that honors that. That he will bless. Whatever that looks like. So this, this piece of armor that we wear protects our heart. And what I'm asking you to do this morning is get real with God. And say, all right, I want to I commit myself to live righteous practically. And so I'm going to start that journey like confessing and embracing the change and living in relationship and accepting the help that I've been given. Maybe you didn't come to that place yet. You've received Christ. I don't know, I don't know where you are. You are coming for a while or this is your first time. And you would say, Eric, I don't, I don't know that I'm there yet. That's, can I, it, would, it, would, it would make my week to have that conversation with you or to introduce you to somebody who could and just, and just make sure that this relationship that you have with Jesus is real and vibrant and meaningful. We love you. I, I can't think of a better time or a better place to receive Jesus Christ than this morning. And if you're a believer this morning and you're already a follower of him, <laughs> let's, let's act like we're his children and let's live righteously. And let's put on, put on this breastplate of righteousness and live out the life that he's called us to. Let's pray. God, we, we confess that we don't have it figured out yet. It's like it's always something else. And yet I truly believe that, that until we get to heaven, we're going to be in this fight. We're going to be in this war. We're going to be in this spiritual battle. And help us to live righteously to protect our heart. Because out of it are all the issues of our life. Help us to focus on you, the love that you have, and the life that you want us to live. In Jesus' name, amen.